Hello and welcome to So You Think You Can Fanon. Please check the link tree in the description and see all of our beautiful, lovely, salacious links to listen to more. Thank you. Hello and welcome to So You Think You Can Fanon, the only podcast to be recorded after a kitchen flooding. I'm your host, Sergio, here today with Matt and Jacob. Oh, hello. Why the fuck is your kitchen flooding? I need to know. Uh, so we had a bit of a leaky pipe under the, the sink and my mom was using a, like a bucket to catch the water, but the bucket kind of got really full and then it got knocked over and it was a mess. I have very thin floors. So, you know, all of that came Uh-oh. down to the basement. Uh-oh. That's not good. You know, actually my floors are normal size. It's, that's the normal size, actually. It's good not, it's not, it's, they're not, they're not small. They're normal. They're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mister. I live in Florida, and I can't have a basement. Otherwise, we'll just flood anyway. True. I wish I had a basement. I miss my basement. Can I just say that? I miss your basement too. It's nice to have a basement. Yeah. Anyways, what the hell are we doing today? I think we're uh, we're we're uh, we're coming back to a classic. Oh, you know. I think we're playing Fortnite. No. No! Get you and your Fortnite's out of here. Get, get your get your goofy ass out of here. Get your goofy ass out of here. It's, it's time for the old Garson party. Oh my what? god! Is, is Warhammer in Fortnite? Have we reached that point yet? Oh uh, no, I don't think we will. But I guess. It's, we never know, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that might be something that would happen at some point. What would you say? I missed I missed your first point there. Will will 40k be in Fortnite? No. Yes. Probably. I mean, we never know. I mean, they've done crazier, let's be real. They've they've done crazy. If they can get fucking Goku and Naruto, they can put, they can put Martin in Luther King into Fortnite. They can put fucking Reboot Gilliman. Yeah, I mean, if, if Amazon ever drops their uh, Warhammer series, they want to do like a collab for an upcoming game. I can see it coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They should add um, what's his name, the guy from Space Marine, Captain Titus. Captain Titus Fortnite skin. That would be horrible. No, there would be a Rabute Gilliman pauldron. You'd be able to wear a uh, Space Marine power armor is what they would do. I mean, would playing as Captain Titus not let you wear Space Marine power armor? I don't think you're getting the point. Like an actual item that you wear for the Space Marine power armor instead of... Maybe, maybe just become Captain Titus. Instead of like having him be a, a player model, what do, you mean? what do you mean become? Like you, you put on the you put on the space marine. They only did that just for like. Tennis. They only really did that for like Thanos. Yeah. You know, I think the main point is if they can get Thanos, they can get anybody. <laughs> I I feel like that's the opposite of truth. I feel like Thanos is the most obvious thing they could have done because it was like the biggest movie in like fifty years. 
Yeah, but the fact that they could do it, the fact that they could make that deal work is what's fucked up. The fact that the fact that Fortnite is in the movie is what still bothers me to this That's day. That's true. You know what? You know what, like, you know what bothers me is despite taking place in current year, Fortnite is like four years out of date. Yes, five, six years out of date. Actually, now that I think about it, that's fucked up. The Fortnite that 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 movie takes place like this year. Yeah. That's fucked up. That, I just thought about that. I, I saw of that meme where it's like Korg is playing Fortnite on a PS4 because the PS5 is still out of stock. <laughs> so did we stop on the Servitor or are we starting on the Servitor? We started on the... We're going to start on the Servitor. Yeah. Well, All right. why don't you start? Us. Off. Oh. Sure thing. <clears throat> For the most part, between his entrenched position, the natural kill zone, and his large supply of shotgun ammo, Doc had, didn't have that much trouble holding off station security. In fact, it wasn't even what you could really call holding off. It was mostly a matter of popping off a shot when someone peeked around the corner at the end of the hallway and shooting down the out servo skull. The security officers had been guarding the med bay weren't die-hard soldiers. They were just a police force, and their willingness to die gloriously for the station was rather lacking, especially after some of them tried to rush Doc using a makeshift boarding shield and got pegged with a homemade tox grenade, really just a glass jar filled with more terror and biotoxin. As any of your gung-ho comrades die screaming and melting can really sap a man's enthusiasm. Unfortunately, the, step, the, the state of happy affairs didn't last quite long enough. Right as Amy's team was drawing to a close to the med bay and had switched from blitz to stealth mode, the stationers had found their spines and launched another serious attack. Or more precise, they found a pair of gun servitors. We all heard docs swearing over the comms as the servitors opened up with a pair of heavy stubbers each and started shambling up the hallway with something like a dozen security goons followed a few meters behind. Doc made a good showing by all accounts, but the odds were stacked too high against him, and he was quickly forced to abandon his firing slit. As the servitors drew into close range, he took a gamble and used his last tox grenade. He got a bullet in the arm for his trouble, but at least it was after he threw the grenade. The jar of tyranid biotoxin hit its mark and quickly turned both servitors' fleshy bits into mush. Unfortunately, as the saying goes, the enemy is in range, so are you. And several of the security troopers had brought concussion grenades. Matt was just so happy to hear about somebody getting pegged. It was just so funny. It just it just hit me like a sack of bricks. It was so funny. Anyways, though, the entire barrage of grenades went off directly in front of the door to the storage room. The shockwave bent the door inward, ragdolled Doc across the storage room, and left him pinned under the heavy crate he'd been using as a barricade. He was pretty definitely out of the fight at that point, but luckily Sister Valerie was there to rescue his sorry ass. Now, this is where things get a little fuzzy, because Doc was concussed, mostly deaf, bleeding both internally and externally, and is the very definition of a biased witness where his girlfriend is concerned. According to him, she calmly instructed her minions to finish packing, pull the crate off the mobile medical suite, and kneeled down in front of it. Then, head bowed in prayer, she extracted Sergeant Gravis's Astartes Mark VB Godwin pattern bolter and started glowing with the divine light of the Emperor. We know this next part was bullshit, because Sister Valerie couldn't carry a tune with a bloody wheelbarrow and had actually been banned, very politely, mind you, from participating in the choir during the Occurrence Borders morning services. But Doc insisted that as she rose to her feet, surrounded by a halo of divine light, and started singing a battle hymn so divinely beautiful that it was painful. Then, a singing and a glowing like a bloody angel, she walked over the door and began mowing down wave after wave of security goons with Gravis's bolter. Now, 
we saw that hallway afterwards, and there definitely weren't enough bodies to constitute even a single fucking wave. But we couldn't deny that she sure as hell shot that place to fucking shit. She must have put at least three magazines of Astartes-sized bolt rounds down that hallway. Though down really isn't the right word. The vast majority of the bolt crafter craters we could see were along the corridor's walls, ceiling, floor, and somehow even the door behind her. She had about as much control over that weapon as a toddler trying to walk a Fenrisian wolf. Lack of actual aiming ability aside, though, Sister Valerie's counterattack got the job done. Uh, sorry, I had to check, checking to make sure that I didn't have myself muted. The sight of the tall, blonde bombshell inco- incoherently screaming a sororitas battle hymn and firing what amounted to a fully automatic rocket launcher with all the accuracy and discipline of an enraged orc was more than the station security troopers could handle. They ran for it, and when she kept shooting, they ran some more. The medbay hadn't already been evacuated by the head Medicaid. It would have been a lethal stampede, but it was. was but as it was, the whole thing was just comical. The retreat ended with the whole cowardly lot sitting in the lobby yelling at each other and trying to explain the situation to their superiors and the newly re- newly arrived reinforcements. I have to burp. Ugh. Oh, that was weird. By this point, those of us who'd been in the warehouse and navigated into an unoccupied maintenance corridor adjacent to the lobby. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, that made sense in my brain. It just didn't initially. And we're performing recon using spot 2.0 and fumbles. Seeing the idiots run out there, like, run out like there was a bloodthirster on their heels struck is hilarious. And it got even better when they told the reinforcements what had happened. In their terrified little minds, Doc had grown into some sort of Nurgleite mega cultist. We caught phrases like, What sort of plague marine melts bones? and turned a sister into a demon host, and came here to resurrect his plague marine master. It was good stuff, really lightened our moods. On on a more practical note, the horror stories had completely drained the security troopers' enthusiasm. They pretty much unanimously decided to just defend the lobby and wait until one of the station SWAT teams arrived. This was good news for Doc, who was in no condition to fend off another attack, but it left the rest of us with the problem of getting out past 30-ish security troopers before their heavies arrived. Luckily, Sarge had sorted out his issues by then, and we were for- we were not forced to go with tanks or, Emperor forbids, Nubby's proposed solutions. Sarge's defense of the office suite was not as exciting as Doc's desperate holdout. This was largely because the stationers knew inc- incredibly dangerous from the beginning and didn't bother sending a few waves of poorly trained security officers to their deaths. Instead, they called for the station's best SWAT team and set about fortifying the entire telepathic headquarters from any chance of escape or rescue. This sounded very bad to Sarge and the diplomacy adepts, and they shared that opinion with Jim, who didn't respond for fending Sarge off when he attempted to unjack the tech priest's mechandrite from the comm terminal. There was a brief debate over whether he was okay and if the try to cut into a maintenance shop plan should be performed yet. Since the cogitator adept said that Jim was, for lack of a better word, Talking with over 50 other tech priests, Sarge decided to keep waiting and set about fortifying the two-room suite. Then, once he'd reached the point where the suite was as fortified as possible, he calmed Twitch for some advice, then fortified it even more. About the same time, Doc was wantonly empty, employing tyranid bioweapons against three unsuspecting security officers, the SWAT team finally launched an assault. Eight men, armored in matte black, void-sealed carapace armor, and wielding the best automatic shotguns the administratum could requisition, silently entered the main conference room and took up positions, covering the door to the suite. One of them carefully opened the door's control panel, found the emergency override, and began counting down. 
At zero, the door slid open, but did not reveal the group of desperate heretics they'd been expecting. Instead, all those on the other side of it was the sheer metal surface on the suite's table, and the lumpy object the size of a basketball which had been wedged against the door, then fell into the main conference room as it opened. If the SWAT team had to time the ins to inspect the object, they would have discovered that it consisted of six LAS pistol power packs and every extraneous metal skull, buckle, and stud that Sarge could rip off his inquisitorial costume, a few layers of duct tape to boot. They didn't have time to inspect it, though, because half a second after it hit the floor, the improvised fragmine went off and killed half of them. On the far side of the massive pile of furniture, appliances, and bathroom fixtures that kept the table wedged against the door, Sarge felt incredibly relieved that the IED had worked like Twitch had said it would. He raised his voice, and over the pained yelling of the two troopers who'd only been injured by the blast, Sarge told the survivors to bugger off. They responded by shooting the barricade a few times in a sort of desultory way, and then grabbed their wounded comrades and followed his advice. No. If it had been a guard commander who just had his assault foiled like that, he would have said something like, hmm, after killing so many of my men, they must be on low on ammo. Let's try that again. And Sarge would have been in deep shit. Fortunately, the people in charge were just civilians, and even better, they were a committee. When the SWAT team survivors limped back to them, they sat down and had a nice lengthy debate about what to try next. Sarge and the diplomat listened in as idea after idea was raised and vetoed, usually for boring reasons like immense potential risks to personnel and property, but occasionally there was something more interesting. Apparently. The stationers were having a little trouble with their comms and cogitators, and no one from Mechanicus was returning their calls. Eventually, though, the committee reached a decision, and unfortunately, it was a pretty good one. The telepathican knew enough about their own headquarters to get into the ventilation system without a tech priest's help, and the shipmaster's union was able to furnish several canisters of sedative gas. Once Sarge and his heretical companions were incapacitated, they'd send in some men with las cutters and rebreathers, and that would be that. Sarge immediately taped up every vent he could find, but did not feel especially confident in his ability in the ability of a single layer of duct tape to fend off a chemical attack. His nerves began to fray as he overheard the gas being delivered, then sent off to be deployed, and Jim still hadn't moved. The only thing that kept him from just forcing the tech priest to wake up and trying to cut through the wall was was his last two power packs or with his last two power packs, was the old diplomat's calm assurance that he'd lose consciousness long before Sarge would, and that could be used as a sort of final warning. Luckily, though it didn't seem so at the time, it never came to that. Right as the elderly adept started feeling woozy, Sarge noticed a telltale hum of a last cutter and a spot in the wall of the partially flooded bathroom began to glow. Sarge spared a few seconds to curse the stationers for not mentioning that the assault was starting within the bug's pickup range, then got ready to go down fighting. As a sort of afterthought, he gave Jim a whack upside the head, partially to try to wake him up, but mostly because he was rather, rather angry with the engine seer. Jim didn't wake, or didn't snap awake, though. This was because he was already awake and was in the process of turning around when Sarge swung. The end result was Jim hitting, sitting on the floor, checking if his nose was broken, and calling Sarge some very unkind words. Sarge responded with a few choice insults on his own, but stopped when Jim pointed out that he was being very ungrateful for someone who had just been rescued. When the last cutter finished its work on the bathroom wall, the breach wasn't kicked open by a squad of heavily armed men. Instead, the precisely cut piece of metal drifted back, where it then disappeared up the red-lit shaft on the other side, revealing a small swarm of servo skulls. Sarge eyed the skulls with the special type of suspicion he reserved for anything that could be called good luck. But Jim assured that they were friendly and led their way down to the shaft. As the engine seer entered, the skulls swarmed around him and carefully lowered him down the shaft. Sarge noted... And none of them had stuck around to lower him, hefted the, the woozy adept under an arm, and slowly began descending the ladder 
at the back of the shaft. Above him, a few skulls began welding the shaft closed again. After a very long and slow climb, Sarge found himself in what was obviously a mechanicus shrine, and flinched as he realized he was surrounded on every side by tech priests. The cogboys didn't seem hostile, though, so Sarge just stood still and tried not to look like someone who endorsed tech heresy and his subordinates. After a few seconds of motionlessness, Sarge noticed that none of the tech priests were actually looking at him, and followed their gazes where Jim was chirping in binary at what had to be the local Magos. Jim's talk with the Magos went quickly, which was good, because Sarge was getting very tired of not being told what was going on. When Jim came over, Sarge got as far as, just what the hell did you, before the old diplomat kicked him in the shin and suggested that he let Jim take the lead. Using a haughty tone of voice that definitely didn't fit him, Jim began spouting a bunch of stuff about jurisdictions, reprioritizations, and other such weasel words. It was complete bullshit, but luckily Sarge was fluent in bullshit. The gist of it was that Jim had told the Cogboy that he and Hannah had been given a vitally important mission by the Ordo's jurors, and name-dropped the two magi that we'd so memorably encountered. This was, of course, a very creative interpretation of being told go gain experience in the inquisition and we'll recruit you into the ordos jurors if you survive and sarge took a small amount of pride in how much a cynical lying bastard jim had become the local tech priests couldn't directly assist with jim's mission without knowing what it was or being given some sort of authorization from higher up but they could definitely help him return to his ship Furthermore, if he made sure it didn't threaten the station, they could make sure that said ship would be able to leave the system without even being attacked. This was great news, but Sarge couldn't help but notice that only Jim and Hannah's escape and safety were mentioned, and pointed that out. Jim actually smiled a bit at that and explained that the Cogboys had no interest in us at all, unless we did something to significantly damage the station. They wouldn't help us. But they wouldn't help the stationers either, and they wouldn't do anything to stop us from following Jim on his very safe trip back to the occurrence border through the station's maintenance corridors. In the end, Sarge sent the diplomacy adept off with Jim, but didn't go with them, because the dock situation was heating up and Twitch was handling things just fine by himself. As they headed off, one of the tech priests grudgingly showed Sarge to the nearest public corridor, then slammed the door behind him. Sarge was now standing in a sparsely populated public corridor, wearing a ragged inquisitorial costume and an evil goon uniform, which drew the eye better than a neon sign. Remembering the whole massive bounty in his head and station-wide arrest order thing, he ducked into the first unlocked door he could find, which luckily turned out to be a public restroom, and he immediately stripped down into his skivvies and shoved the gaudy clothing into the nearest bin, and calmed the, ad- the cogitator adept and set to work getting a less conspicuous costume. While he waited in the moderately filthy restroom, Sarge listened to the reports from the rest of us and slowly formulated the most cunning of plans. A few minutes later, at about the same time as Doc was getting rescued by his girlfriend, a small-time merc, or, sorry, my brain missed that comma, by his girlfriend, a small-time merc, who'd accepted a contract to remove an annoying drunk from a public restroom, opened the door to get one hell of a surprise. Sarge was very gentle by his standards, so the merc would probably live, but he probably would never look at the toilet the same way again. Tired in a bad-fitting, not to mention rather damp and smelly Merc uniform, and wielding a shoddily made stationary shotgun, Sarge stepped out into the public corridor and started jogging. A short distance away, two dozen mercenaries and bounty hunters entered a small dingy bar and looked around for the man that, according to the comm message they had all received, had a lucrative contract for them. Now it's been, it's been said by just about everyone who's Sarge in the entire history of the Imperium, there have been no one 
as inherently a sergeant as him. He was born for it, destined for it. It was even if the emperor reached out and said, this guy right here, he's going to be the biggest, baddest, most sergeanty guy ever. And nothing can ever change that. He just sort of exuded sergeantness. And anyone with a drop of military blood in their face noticed it immediately. Well, a sergeant entered that bowl full, bar full of marks. He turned that aura up to 11. Sarge came through the bar door looking, despite his slovenly uniform, like he just stepped off a recruiting poster, and every man in the bar, including the bartender, came to attention. Sarge surveyed them for a few seconds, then announced that he knew where the heretic bounties were hiding, and that the station security was too chicken shit to handle them. He'd called them here because they were the toughest, meanest, nastiest men of the station, and if they followed him into his fight, they'd also be the richest. Then Sarge turned on his heel, marched back out of the bar. The mercs, bounty hunters, assorts, scum in the bar all shared a look, then stampeded after him. A short while later, Sarge and his small mercenary army shoved their way into the med bay lobby and demanded to speak to the commanding officer. Unfortunately, the security commander, who turned out to be the guy Sister Valerie had tranked, was a little bit less credulous than the mercs had been. He demanded to know who Sarge was, and no, Sarge is not a name. It was a rank. What's your name, merc? what outfit he was from, and why was he Why was he there? Sarge, who knew from experience that claiming to be Sergeant Sergeant, were resulted in a fair bit of waste of time, discreetly checked the name on his ill-fitting jacket, and else he was Sergeant Kelly. The men behind him were Kelly's heroes, and they were good to get rich or die trying. It took Sarge a bit of arguing to convince the security commander to let him launch an attack instead of just waiting for the station's second-best SWAT team, but he managed. It helped a lot that despite the fact that the commander hadn't heard of any outfit called Kelly's Heroes, the databases at Security HQ had. Turned out that it was an unaccredited it was an accredited mercenary company, which was in good standing with the Administratum, Telepathica, and Shipmasters Union, and it just happened to specialize in dealing with heretics. Imagine that! Anyway, Sarge convinced the man to let him lead an assault on Doc's position, which meant that he had a nice excuse to get up on a table and start giving a loud, impressive, and rather overlong heroic speech. Every man in the lobby turned their attention to Sarge as he stomped back and forth, talking about bravery and valor and all sorts of other heroic bullshit. No one noticed as a young man in a rumpled psyker's jacket sidled through the lobby's front door around the edges of the audience into the hallway, which everyone was supposed to be watching. They also completely failed to notice Spot 2.0 zipping in and out of the room, but since Spot was invisible, this was uh, far less of an achievement. As Sarge's speech began to run uncomfortably long and the audience started to fidget, he received confirmation that everything was ready. He banged the table with the flagpole that had gotten from somewhere or other and launched into the final get-everyone-pumped-up part of the speech. Everyone's attention was neatly recaptured, which was good, because while they might have missed the large blurry shape that entered from the hallway, it would have been hard not to notice when it turned into fumbles and the medical convoy and all the potted plants in the room withered. Luckily, after that little stumble, the convoy faded again, and no one noticed as it moved to the far corner of the lobby, where the wall was uh, glowing slightly. Sarge's speech ended with the final bellow of charge, and every man in the room, both the mercs and the security officers, surged towards the hallway that led into the now empty storage room. <clears throat> Sarge didn't go with them, though. As soon as they turned, he covered his eyes and bolted for the lobby's door. Up on the ceiling, Spot pulled a f- few pieces of string that had been run through the rings of a dozen flash and smoke grenades. And right as Sarge hit the doors, the lobby exploded into light and smoke. In the confusion, which quickly drew deadly as nearly 50 armed men panicked, no one noticed a section of wall collapsing, or the large blurry shape going through it. Sarge stumbled through the lobby doors, feeling rather proud of how well that had worked out, and nearly collided with eight men in matte black armor. He he froze for a second, resisted the urge to raise a shotgun, and told them that a bunch of heretics disguised as mercenaries had just attacked the security forces. The leader of the SWAT team swore and led his men through the doors. 
Sarge waited until the last one had gone through and spread like hell. As he reached the end of the hallway, a side door slid open to reveal Amy, and somewhere behind him, someone yelled, Hey, you! Something stung Sarge in the side as he ran the last few meters to the door, and Amy responded by leaning out and neatly putting a bolt of plasma through the offending SWAT officer's helmet. Then both of them were through the door. Despite the fact the SWAT team following them had a nice clear trail of Sarge's blood to follow, they didn't manage to catch up. This was primarily because Amy kept shooting the control panel of every automatic door after she closed it, but also because any guardsman worth his salt is a good runner. Long before they reached the rest of us, Sarge tossed the tossed onto the loot pallet. Sarge was tossed onto the loot pallet next to the dock, and the whole convoy rolled out. The trip across the station was surprisingly fast and without incident. We later found out this was because the station's tech priests were clearing the way for us by redirecting servitors and menials and making sure every door was open. Apparently, Jim had convinced them it was the best way to get us to stop cutting through things with Tink's, Tink's plasma gun. Unfortunately, we hadn't been able to do anything to convince Switch to stop being Twitch, and as we got closer to the West Dock, the signs of battle damage mounted. Really, though, anyone who knew anything about booby traps could tell that Twitch was following Sarge's order to keep the body count low. There were a lot of blood stains in the odd body part. For the most part, they were in the hallway leading towards the craters, as opposed to scattered around them. This was a clear sign of traps designed to act as deterrence instead of being set up for maximum casualties. Anyway, despite his restraint when it came to the body count, Twitch and the ship's master armsmen had really chewed the area around the docking bay up. It wasn't a testament to the quality of the station's construction that the entire section hadn't lost atmospheric integrity. The mad bomber himself met us at the bottom of the freight elevator, flanked on either side by his last two suicide skulls, a pair of Arbsman wearing crutoid spine necklaces that marked them as some tribals from hydroponics. The second we reached the elevator, the two skulls zipped away behind us, and we all felt a shockwave and heard the crash of a warehouse's worth of crates dropping into the corridor. Sarge briefly considered asking Twitch how many of the other corridors he collapsed and decided that he didn't really want to know. As we rode up the elevator, Twitch brought us up to speed on how the defense of the occurrence border had been going. Apparently, largely thanks to the amount of flank Twitch's minds and skulls had been able to secure and the resulting terror in the attackers, it had gone pretty well. Casualties had been low, and well, on our side they had been low, and the captain had even been able to launch a small offensive to liberate some much-needed supplies. The only really bad development was that the stationers had cut off the refueling pipe fairly early on, and no one had been able to figure out a way to steal any either. There was also the slightly worrying news that a few boarding shuttles had been launched by the station. The few of these that had landed in the well-populated sections of the ship were easily repelled by the armsmen, who had a rather significant home field advantage, but a few had landed in the tainted areas. Most of those shuttles hadn't taken off again, and Twitch predicted an increase in the amount of demon activity until those poor bastards died and stopped feeding the things, but the two shuttles that had taken back off were almost more worrying. They'd landed in the warped fungus bay, so by now the stuff was probably already spreading through at least one of the station shuttle bays. Sarge calmed Jim and asked him to send everything we had in the fungus to the local cogboys, and we all... We all hoped really hard that this wasn't going to turn out like the whole Necron thing. Two subsector-wide disasters in a row would be really hard to explain to Oak. After the elevator ride, it was just a short walk through some blasted open bulkheads to our docking bay. As we arrived, the senior armsmen started bellowing orders and an orderly retreat started, to which walked carefully as the men fell back and began pulling color-coded detonators off his harness. One by one, the abandoned defensive positions were demolished and everyone filed back aboard the occurrence border. Once we'd boarded the ship, we split up again. Doc hobbled off to the with the medical convoy to get Gravis back into his old bed and either help out the wounded or get himself treated. The loot pallet was taken down to the psych holding cells, though nubby fumbles and several boxes fell off along the way, leaving 
Amy to help Tank, Theo, and Jim with all the unpacking. Twitch wandered off with two of his tribal bodyguards to see about securing the entrances to the tainted areas. Finally, Sarge, who wasn't quite wounded enough to be able to justify the uh, justify escape to the medbay, trudged up to the bridge to see how our escape was going. Along with its usual staff of interchangeable officers, the bridge was occupied by old diplomat Hannah and the captain. And the quartermaster. Sarge was struck by how calm the bridge was. He expected it to be as chaotic as it had been after the f- first capturing the damn zone throw. But the most exciting thing happening was an argument between the captain and his quartermaster about the technical definition of piracy. Sarge noted that the captain was nearly covered in blood, which couldn't have been his given how he was still standing. And the quartermaster's automatic arm had gone missing and made a note to ask him how they, their escapes from the station had gone. When Hannah noticed Sarge's arrival, she cut off her discussion with a diplomacy adept and marched over to him and launched into an angry lecture about how he kept getting Jim into trouble. Sarge bore this with unusual stoicism, at least until the tech priestess yelled at him for doing his stupid servitor impression and kicked him in the shin. Sarge hopped around and cursed at her. Hannah stalked off the bridge and the diplomacy adept took her place. After he finished laughing at Sarge's expense, the old diplomat brought Sarge up to date. Hannah had explained the mechanics of neutrality to the captain, which is why the bridge wasn't in a panic. The occurrence border was heading out of the system, but since the tech priests on the station, as well as every other ship in the system, were preventing the use of any anti-ship weapons, there was no need to rush. Sarge thought this was a dangerously optimistic viewpoint, but didn't feel like arguing with the captain. Anyway, it meant Tank and the rest wouldn't have time to repair the psychic containment cells. Sarge was about to leave the bridge to see about having the buckshot removed from his side and changing into a uniform that fit and did smell of urine when the communication officer called him over. The station was broadcasting an urgent message, an unencrypted address to him by the name of the heretical false interrogator Greg Sargent, which turned out to be a vid from the station's leaders. Or more precisely, it was a vid from the, the squire master. The other two leaders mostly sat in the background and looked scared, and you couldn't really call it a message either. It turned out to be nearly 28 straight minutes of wide-eyed ranting and death threats, which went from frightening to amusing to tedious, then briefly back to amusing when the enraged astropath managed to break a blood vessel in his eye and had to be taken away to calm down. Unfortunately, the vid resumed after that, and the choir master shifted from pointless screaming to promises of vengeance. Among other things, he vowed that every choir from Ultramar to Terra would hear of our crimes, which struck Sarge as very petty and a stupid form of vengeance. It caused immense annoying in the short term, but it would ensure the Inquisition found out and got everything sorted out that much quicker. Eventually, as the choir master ramped back up into ranting again, Sarge got bored. He told the communications officer to just send a copy to the adepts and declined when asked if he wanted to send a reply. Then, with a wave at the captain that promised to come up and help plan the route when the ship reached safe warp distance, Sarge left. A few hours and a much-needed nap later, Sarge headed down to the Psyker holding cells and found them empty. Just of people, though, the zoanthrope was was exactly where he'd left it, thank the Emperor. Sarge flipped the bug off out of habit and checked the room down the hallway that had become Tink, Theo, and Jim's, Jim had claimed as their break and nap room. He found the three nerds, accompanied by Hannah, sitting around a screen, watching their usual vile Talvids. Sarge eyed Hannah warily, but the cog girl did not seem inclined to violence at present, so he advanced into the room and prodded Tink. At first, the techie refused to answer questions, but after Sarge threatened to break the vid player, he became a bit more helpful. Tink confirmed that everything in the cells was working fine, they hadn't had the raw materials to just rebuild the cells like they'd wanted, but Nubby had gotten all the crucial repair parts. Everything should hold together fine for at least 
two weeks of warp travel, which was more than enough time to reach a less crazy Imperial outpost. Charger called that cause of that craziness and asked what the odds were of another astropath killing psychic explodey thingy. He got a lot of techno babble, which he assumed meant we're not really sure why that happened, but it probably won't happen again. His curiosity sated. Sarge turned to leave the room, but paused as something on the vid caught his eye. It was a fat man wearing what Sarge recognized, thanks to some unwanted training on the subject, as floral printed Tau formal robes. As the animated figure gibbered in Tau speak, Sarge realized that he was looking at some sort of caricature of ex-Inquisitor Lars Weebu. And with dawning sense of horror, he realized what was going to come next. There was a blast of shrill music, followed by a few lines of text, which Sarge hesitantly translated as Super Deserter Guevesa Action Heroes. And the scene changed to a group of six characters wearing Tau Flak armor. Sarge's eye scanned the horrible big-eyed characters for the telltales he knew would be there. There was the Red Cross on one, the Bandoliers of Explosives on another, and then there was the half-sized character with his Psycho robes wearing Sidekick. At the back of the group, he spotted a character with chevrons who looked far grumpier and grayer than seemed appropriate. And finally, there was, well, it had to be the oversized plasma gun and the goggles and the drone. So it had to be, but, um, Tink, why is your character female? The techie froze and slowly looked up at Sarge. Jim snickered. Matt, do you want to be a tank? You see? Fio, seeing that Tink was having trouble, decided to help. Sergio, go for it. Be Fio. That actually just happened last week when they were fighting the dread witch Yaneza, and she cast a spell, which... Forget I asked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god the, the next one is slightly longer crazy how that works huh nuts well that was fun I quite liked it I think yeah of course I quite like all we're, of them we're almost done we're getting closer you put me closer to god we've still got uh, what is this seven left not counting the one, one that we're about two, to start. Three, four, five, six, a seven. Well, six and two interludes. That's true. That's true. They'll probably be really long. These last few. Really, really long. I see how long this one is. The next one is slightly longer. The one enclosed by two interludes is nearly 40,000 words by itself. Uh, for fuck's sake. Well. For the fuck's sake. Yeah, that's like twice as I'll, long as any other ones. And I guess on that note, because... <sighs> we may be finished with the all Garson party by the end of the year, judging at the rate we've been reading it. Uh... For those of you listening at home, since you absolutely adore the All Guardsmen party, uh, let us know what you'd like us to cover after um, All Guardsmen, whether it's another Warhammer fic or something, another long-running series that you'd like to see out of something that we might have read or might have hadn't read, uh, because we want to keep you guys uh, happy since you yeah. 
love yeah. this series so yeah. much. At, at us on something. I mean, we know you're there. We know you're you out there can, somewhere. Uh, re you can f uh, reply in the uh, um, the Q and A on this episode on Spotify, or you can add us on Twitter or email us at sytycfanon at gmail dot com. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, did you guys have any other thoughts on Guardsmen? I know we were gonna. We said uh, last time we wanted to talk a little bit more about the chapters we read. What is your guys' favorite chapter been so far? Oh, so far, um, it might be the one where it was a, there was a character death in it. It was the one where they were fighting a Chaos Marine, I think, and there was the Chaos Cogboy. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I think that one's my favorite. I think that I was it. what's in the box. That might have been what's in the box. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I'm honestly, um, probably the interlude because I really like the character-driven storytelling of the interlude. That's true. It was it was a nice big change of pace in the reading. I, I, I like the character dialogue interlude D-Warp as well, but I think my favorite has to be Tyranid Acquisition Experts. That was a very mm -hmm. fun chapter, that's for sure. Where they were just fucking up everything constantly. Yeah, I found the battle to be really tense. I also really love uh, the first two chapters. Um, the character... Just, just getting set up. Um, like Yeah, the, forcing the, them to play... A war game just to build their characters is really funny. Yeah, the idea of making like twenty guardsmen, the fact that they were just going to die and like horde and wave after wave, that sounds a lot of fun. I'd love to do that sometime in a game. Yes, yes, that would be very fun. Where characters just die, drop like fucking flies. Mm -hmm. <sighs> well, I got nothing else to add. Yeah, I, I think it was just a, a great all-around chapter. I really like the um, the creative shit they keep getting themselves into. I wish I knew how much of it was the dungeon master setting things up and how much of it was just the players derailing everything. Mm -hmm. Well, we can always have uh, the guy uh, who writes this on the podcast. He did, he did say a while ago that he would be down. Yeah, we Holy talked shit. about it. I didn't know that we, we got in contact with him. Done it. <laughs> we should do it. We should definitely do it. We should have him here when we read the last interlude. We should have him here when we kill... I can't finish that sentence. Everyone. Oh, Anyways, Jake, do you have it? Yeah. This is the, the other uh, thing that we said is uh, Warhammer 10th Edition. Jake, do you have anything to report about oh Warhammer God. 10th Edition? I know that oh you played God. it originally. Um, I, played a, I played my first game of Warhammer. It was not really a full game. It was like a like a remembering how to play Warhammer because I haven't played since the 8th Edition game. Um, And I mean, I've, I got no complaints. Um, I like the data sheets a lot. Um, because they're a lot easier to comprehend. I like the, the army building changes. I like that I don't have to spend points to give people weapons anymore. I like a lot. A lot of the stuff that they brought over from Age of Sigmar, I think, is a good thing. It kind of sucks that there's a little less variation in Space Marine armies than there was in previous editions, just because they got rid of, like, the 900 chapter specific rule sets that they had, which makes sense. 
I get why they did it, but I am kind of bummed about it. It's just like certain chapters have their own special detachment, like arm, like they're counted as a separate army and not like Space Marine sub faction chapter. Like it's like Adeptus Astartes and then like Black Templars and then like Dark Angels and I think Dark Angels. I don't know. It's cool. I like it. I made yeah. a, a guard army. I'm trying to get more people to play it with me on Tabletop Sim. Maybe you guys will. Maybe. I'll teach you. Maybe. I'll teach you how to play. They made it really maybe. easy to learn how to play now. Yeah, maybe. I, I have I have tossed around the idea to a few people in the friend group about having like just a Tabletop Sim Warhammer group where we just all are like, hey, on Wednesday, let's all like pick another player to play against just for a match to see how it goes. Maybe we could do a narrative campaign. Could be Maybe. fun. Yeah, could be fun. I'm building a good, I'm building my guard army. It's a little evil, but that's okay. Yes. Definitely a lot more put together than the, the Black Templar army that I kind of just threw together in a I'll, like I'll 10 minutes. I'll build an orc army and crush you. If you're building a, if you're gonna build an orc army, then I'm gonna just build an army that has a lot of range and just shoot you to death. <laughs> so you can't do anything to me. I'll just charge you, fucker. Uh, you wanna bet? Yeah, yeah. I'll put two whole melee, dollars. I'll, I'll put all of the funds that we've made on this podcast on it. And no. if I win, nothing happens. And if you win, nothing also happens. Yes. But anyways, uh, tune in next time when I kill Jacob with a stick. One time I killed a man with a with a baseball bat when I was twelve, uh-huh. uh-huh. and no one ever found the body, and no one ever talked to me about it. Okay. Can we go find uh-huh. the body? Is that what we're doing for our first podcast live action episode? Hell yeah, Sergio! I I went back to the spot and nothing was there. Uh, oh, he got up. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, end the episode. <laughs>